So I had to watch this with ads, and there was about 10 ads every five minutes, and I can tell you two things that I learned. Yeah. Americans love trucks and fucking Cheetos. Ooh. Yeah, trucks and Cheetos, GP. Okay. Trucks and Cheetos. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jillian Bettavalli. Hello, Patrick Hines. Girl, this weekend, if you're listening to this when this drops, my opening night for my Patrick's traveling book party is That's happening right. this Saturday at the Bell House. January 21st. January 21st. There's still a couple of tickets left. Come see me. I want this to be sold out. I want opening night sold out. Yeah. Oh, we're going to do it. We're One part it. dance party. You and I are going to dance on the stage. Everyone else is going to dance in the audience. Yeah, the more you say it, the truer it yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dancing on stage. You're going to pick the song. Uh, yeah, we are. Okay, we'll do you're it You're going to pick it. Then I'm going to do a book reading, and there's a game component, which I know you hate, but you're going to come up on stage and do with me. I don't hate it. I'm just, you won't tell me anything about it. No, My curiosity is killing me. It's a surprise. Me. And that's what I'm doing in all the cities. So a lot of the cities are sold out, but go see where I'm coming. Come and see me. Join us on the Patreon. Yeah, join us on the Patreon. We're doing I Just Killed My Dad. Oh my God, so wild. I know. Puppet Master and Bad Vegan yep. and Finding Andrea and Relentless yep. and what else did we all just All the classic do? stuff like yeah. Making a Murderer, The Staircase. Murders at Starved Rock. Remember that one? Oh my God. The Gacy thing yep. from Peacock. Yeah. We did the Bigfoot one. We've Lorraine. done UFO ones. Yeah, there's yeah, so much of there. So, much. so many videos from like our live shows yeah. and content from Obsessed Fest. Yeah, and also depending on the tier, like we do AMAs, we give you yes. advice, we have like other forms of our content there too. Like our not just annual calendar things. that we give out for Christmas. Oh yeah. <laughs> I hope you're hanging it up wherever you're listening totally. to this. <laughs> All right, girl, what are we talking about today? All right, Rifkin on Rifkin, private conversations with a serial killer. I uh, think. Yeah. No, nope, that's wrong. Okay. <laughs> Rifkin on Rifkin, private confessions of a serial killer. It's one of those things on Oxygen where we have to hear from the piece of shit. Yep. I heard Joel Rifkin's name on the radio. Joel Rifkin has told police he's a serial killer. That was my college friend. He looked so harmless, I had to have answers. I just created a nice little secret life for myself. I covered up years. There are plenty of kids in the hall who were scary, but Joel was not. I was trying to figure out how the Joel that I knew became a deadly killer. He's riding around all night looking for girls, and then he's butchering the bodies next door. It had it done. There was no more blood than stomping on a bug or a cockroach. He felt no guilt, no remorse, no pain. He was a monster. All right, I said right at the top, we're doing an oxygen thing, right? This one's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I knew nothing about this guy. It's always shocking to me when I hear of a serial killer I hadn't heard of. Well, yeah, this is in uh, this is on my turf. New I York know. City, 1989. I can't believe your mother let you out of the house. Knowing Barbara the way I know her now. Barely. I can't believe there was a serial killer on the loose and your mom let you play in the backyard. I know. With, just watching me through the <laughs> curtain. Uh, so, yeah, New York City, 1989. New York City, the late 80s and the early 90s. Crime was rampant. The policeman was shot dead in his patrol car. There were more than 2,000 murders a year. This has reached epidemic proportions. It is a crack epidemic, which police say is causing an increase in murder and other violent crime. 2,000 murders a year, plus we had the crack epidemic. This one cop goes, I mean, it was scary for me, so I cannot imagine what it was like for the populace. Yeah, that's Robert. <laughs> He's a detective from the New York PD. He's also friends with this guy from college, kind of. We'll get into that when we get into that. But he's the one who like does all the recorded interviews. Yeah, and this is very like... 
we get on screen text like Long Island was a safe haven until June 27th, <laughs> 1993. Like everyone thought all like yeah. the, the ruffians and all the bad shit happened yeah, in yeah, Manhattan. Yeah. I got news for you. It happens all over the world. I got 1993. I was like alive. And like, I remember 1993. It's weird when we cover a documentary about a serial killer that takes place in my lifetime. Yeah. Serial killers feel like they're from the seventies and the seventies only. Yeah. You know? I agree. But you know, so many more cases than I do. Oh, like right? there are some times where you're like, I remember this on the uh-huh, news. And uh-huh. I'm like, you did? You did? Uh-huh. So, yeah, we're on the Southern State Parkway on Long Island. That is not my turf. I don't really know the Southern State that very much. Yeah, it's a quiet night. Nobody's on the road. We meet Detective Sean. He's telling us it's about 3.15 a.m. Yeah. They see a pickup truck in the center lane. They realize there's no license plate on it, to which I said it's always some traffic shit with these idiots. Right. It's always some traffic shit. Yeah, Al Capone with the parking ticket for tax evasion. Oh, no, they got Al Capone on, on tax evasion, but Son of Sam was the parking ticket. Ted Bundy with, yeah. like the, with the taillight, Israel keys with the taillight. Idiots. All these serial killers getting pulled. Like, or like not putting your blinker on. Exactly. Stay fucking stupid morons. Keep it up. So they're trying to pull over this pickup truck, but it won't pull over. We pulled up alongside of him. He just kind of slowly looked over. He had a, a very blank look on his face. We thought he was pulling up onto the shoulder, at which time he exited the Southern State Parkway. He just wasn't stopping. Can I just say, they say this thing, they they drive up next to him, they see that he's got a blank look on his face, and they go, we thought he was pulling over. No, instead he just exited off the Southern State They're like, he just wasn't stopping. And he turned off, like, they tried to pull him over at an exit ramp, and the guy just took the ramp. Yeah. They they go off he goes. They're chasing him. He I ends up like, crashing into a light pole, and he's arrested. And this, bada bing, bada boom, it's Joel Rifkin. This whole thing made me laugh so hard. The whole idea that the cops are trying to arrest. They think they're gonna pull him over, and he's like veering he's over, like, but nope. then he just takes the. Exit. And I'm pretty sure he was hammered because he totally. crashes into a light pole. I mean, these people. He's been getting away with murders for years, but he doesn't think to not drive the truck without the license plate. Uh, because at this point, he's just he's untouchable, yeah. right? Yeah. In his yeah. own mind. So they pull him over, or he, he crashes. Uh, no, they do not pull him over to be clear yeah and i don't get the sense that it was a real like hot pursuit Uh they were just i think they were all going around the speed limit and they're like hey Uh Uh time to pull over they're doing the little like yeah but not not even that they're doing the little thing they're just making the sound with their hands Uh, why can't i oh Jillian, use your words. They're trying to get him to pull the window down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. I think uh, we had electric windows by the 90s. Sure. They were, um, but they're old time guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's they're, true. they're still doing no, this. That's they can't all these buttons in the car. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they pull, I keep saying pull over. Anyway, they're they're with him now. Yeah. They discover a fucking dead body in the trunk. Yeah. To which I say, how is this thing 90 minutes long? We got the guy. I know. I know. But Eugene, who's a lieutenant, now retired, he yeah. goes, That was the first time Joel Rifkin raised to the level of anyone's attention. He wasn't on our radar. Prior to this, he was invisible, certainly to law enforcement. Now, you know, the dead body in the trunk, uh, that was the first time Joel raised any red flags. And I'm like, right, the red flags happened before the murders. Uh-huh. That's how this works. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's more than a red flag. It's a dead body that now we have to like find justice for. But uh-huh. the red flags happened before <laughs> right. the murder. Am I, I wrong? No, you're correct. And I also love any documentary, any documentary that takes place in New York City. And we get the Jillian Cop Long Island accent. I don't even know if that's I, how he sounds. But guess what? That's New York in today. the 90s, you're getting it. New York in any decade, you're getting it. And the cop who's like friends with him, yeah. Robert, he keeps calling him Joel. Joel, oh. <laughs> which is very New York. 
Three syllables, Joel. Yeah. So I went to college with Joel, and I was saying to him, what happened? You were all into the journalism, uh-huh. and now you're here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They bring him in. They like they bring him downtown. He's very cooperative. The cops ask him, like, hey, that dead body we found in your trunk, have you ever done this before? This first? What's up? And he goes, well, what? It was such a Daisy answer. Well, what if I did? That's Can I Daisy? tell you a your quick story Daisy? about Daisy? Yesterday morning, we spent all morning looking for her fucking shoes. I couldn't find them anywhere. Daisy's, quote, helping me look for them. Okay. This, she gets to wear her Ugg boots to school then, but she's not supposed to. Oh, okay. This morning, we're doing the whole thing, and I'm like, Daisy, where are your shoes? You have to help us. She's like, um, let me go in my room by myself and see if I can find oh, them. Okay. Yeah. I followed her in there. She didn't see me. She hid her shoes in a little box. To wear the Uggs. Yeah, why exactly. Can't, why can't she wear the Uggs? It's their school rule. Okay. But it's the only other shoes she has. So other than her tap shoes, which we should have sent her to school in her fucking tap shoes. I mean, shoes. honestly. She comes out with her little shoes on her little fingers. Is this them? <laughs> Is this it right here? <laughs> totally. So it was a very Daisy answer. Like, hey, have you ever killed anybody before? Well, what if I did? Well, what if I did? Well, let's hope that Daisy stops at the shoes. Let's hope. But the cops said to him, Is it more than 10, less than 20? He kind of leaned back in the chair and said, one or a hundred, what's the difference? One or a hundred, what's the difference? Yeah, now, fuck this guy. But I agree with him, except differently. Like, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're a piece of fucking shit, whether you killed one or a hundred people. You know what I mean? Right, like, I don't care how The number ma- yeah. matters when you're talking about the victims, but, like, no, if you killed one person, that's it. You're done. Yeah. And speaking of the victims, I'm just going to say this now. I yeah. take issue with oxygen just breezing over and completely ignoring several of the victims. Yes. So I Googled all of his victims and made my own little timeline. Oh, great. So I'm going to be saying their names when the time comes because yeah. they skip them a lot. And I wish they would have said, because there's a lot of on-screen text in this, yeah. put their names in it instead uh-huh. of saying, like, the next murder was, no, 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 you're wrong on yeah, that. Yeah, I know yeah. you want to save time. This thing's 90 minutes anyway. <laughs> right. I got and your like, back. I'm going to say the In and out names. of the five hours of ads I had to watch, there's Thank like you. a 15-minute recap each time. I made my own little timeline. Spent a lot of time on it. So I'm going to say those names. They Americans love trucks and Cheetos. I mean. That's it. Cheetos, I, I understand. Cheetos, I stand by. So he's arrested and his name's all over the paper. And that's when Detective Robert hears about this and he's like, yeah. holy shit, it's Joel from college. It's Joel. I said he gay gasped. That's my college yeah. friend. So this is where Robert gives us the backstory about how they were friends. I had received my very first paid assignment for a boxing magazine featuring a local fighter. The journalism department recommended Joel Rifkin as the wonder kid of the photography department. We drove the 30 miles or so to the fight. He talks about them like they were best friends. They worked on one assignment together and then never saw each other Is that again. Right? They worked on one boxing assignment together. Yeah, they were si- and they were signed to it. It's not they like they signed, like right, picked, exactly. you know, like, oh, I want to be with Joel. And then literally he's like, I meant to track him down that year, but I didn't after that. And then the next year I looked for him, but I found out that he dropped out. They worked on one story together. Right. But Robert's like, hey, I'm a cop now. Like, it's maybe true. I can help it. So like Robert writes to Joel. Because he also I I maybe that, that just wasn't made clear. Uh-huh. Because then Robert says things like, I was just assumed he was out conquering the world. He was such a bright, shining right. star. I was just a little cop. That he, he goes, and I, I was just being a cop, and Joel was out conquering the world. I Meanwhile, I see him on the news, and I'm like, Richard, I'm like, Robert, which one was it? Yeah, are you going to do that the whole time? Nope. Or we're going to have a Richard Robert situation? No, nope, he's now going to be Rob the cop. <laughs> totally, That's it. totally. But it's also true because th- we know that Rob didn't know him because every other single person in this documentary describes him as like the world's biggest loser. Right. 
Right. And to Robert, he's like a fucking hero. Right. And so Rob the cop writes to Joel, like he's trying to get to the bottom of it. Like, was he a murderer yeah. in college? Yeah. Like, when did it all go wrong? But like, they correspond for seven years. Yeah. Like, Rob wants to really get to know him. They correspond for seven years. And finally, Rob's like, I don't know, maybe I'll write a book someday, make a documentary. He goes to see him in prison with a tape recorder. There you go. And so Rob is trying to use like his journalism education and the fact that he's a cop because yeah. he's like, hey, you know Joel. what? Good combination, if you yeah. ask me. Because you he's know? asking, and it's like, oh man, I wish you didn't have to be a journalism major to also know how to ask good questions as a cop. Whatever. We can, I don't know, figure that out one of these days. But he's just like, Joel, what happened? Yeah, level with me. You used to be really into that journalism stuff. Where'd you go wrong? He also, like, as he's starting to get his backstory. What I found most interesting was unlike most people that have a, a desire to harm others, there was no bedwetting. There was no purposeful harm of animals. There was no fire starting. So he really is unique. His behaviors did not reflect any of the normal patterns of such a nefarious criminal. He says his behavior didn't reflect the normal nefarious criminal. Right. So he is like, according to Rob, who I don't know if he's an expert or what, but he thinks he is. Yeah. He's like not your typical criminal. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah, just saying. Sometimes criminals are assholes and, like, they hide it well. Or exactly. they don't, like, thank God Or maybe God, he's just not being honest do... with you about every single thing he's telling you. Yeah, I guess. Now we get, like, 20 minutes of the childhood, which is only important here because we learn that he was, like, mercilessly bullied right. by people at school, but also by, like, his dad. Right, so he, like, he wasn't good at sports, so the dad was all up in arms about it. Can Fucking bar. we let it go? Who Here's what cares? I said. I made the note. Can we just support our kids in the things they like? You think I like going to fucking ice skating every Sunday? <laughs> you think I want to spend every Saturday and every Thursday in a rock climbing gym? No. No, but you're no. doing it. She doesn't want to do it. Right. Do I wish my kid wanted to go do the local community theater? Right. Take more tap classes? Yes, yeah. I do. Right. Do I love her anyway? Am I disappointed in her? Because gonna... she's great at soccer? <laughs> You're going to knock something over. I love the arms. You can't. I'm just saying. But I hear your point and I take, I love your point. And I'm also like, and maybe I'll get in trouble for this, but as an adoptive parent, I can say they have to try really hard to have these kids because they adopted them. I was going to say they were adopted too. I, I'm not saying that like adoptive or birth parents love their kids more or less. That's a stupid, I don't. And, and people who give birth also can have a lot of trouble. Of course. But I'm just saying like, if you're going to, like, if you're going to adopt a kid, can you just go into it knowing it might not be exactly like you? How about if you're going to have a kid at all in just any way? In but I do think because we experienced this with Daisy. Daisy is nothing like how Steve or I was as kids. Right. You know what I mean? But you deal with it because she's yours and you love her. That's it. My point being... Is it that simple? Yes. I hate the rock climbing gym. The Wi-Fi sucks. Yeah. No one talks to you. There's not a vending machine. Uh I go and I love her and I tell her she did a good job. That's all you got to do. Right, because she did. Who cares? That's all you got to do. Even if she didn't, I'd say you did great. That's what I mean. Because she did. No matter what, she did. Exactly. Eight and three quarters. Okay. Oh, she'll remind you, I'm sure. (laughs) Also, while we might have been throwing the ball, he was looking at the sidewalk with a magnifying glass at a bug or something. I do remember Joel being called Turtle. He was so slow at things, they called him Turtle. The shade of that I is know. so mean. I'm just saying they called him a Turtle because he was... That's, and when I say slow, I mean literally slow. He wasn't good at sports. He was always the last pick. I'm not talking Going about his intellect or anything like that. No, no, no. They were talking about like him being bad at sports. Turtle, that's so rude. Right, and you just had one of those dads where you couldn't please him no matter what. No, because like Rifkin's got a, an IQ of 128, but he's got a hard time concentrating, so he's still not doing well in school. So the dad who's pissed that he's not good at sports is now like... And he's getting bullied 
by the kids. Exactly. So like, this is a recipe for doing poorly in school. I know. Yes. And I got to say, like, I've got a dyslexic kid. I know how frustrating it is to sit there with a kid who doesn't want to do their homework. Right. And can't articulate why. Nope. And you're just got ADHD. You can't yeah. just get up and throw your hands up and walk away. Stop being a fucking asshole. Right. And when you're bullied, like I was, and yeah. also frustrated with not being able to do well in school, like it sucks. Yes. And like, also, my parents weren't disappointed in me. We were like trying to get to the yes. bottom of it. Yes. It was like the three of us versus the problem, but yes. no one knew what the problem uh-huh. was until I was like 18. But like, do you know how many parents are disappointed in their kids and how few of them become serial killers? Totally. I'm so fucking over that. You know what, though? I do think that we have to pay attention to this. Like, nobody really does make the direct correlation. Like, he was bullied, and so now he's a serial killer. But I do think that, like, the way we treat people matters. You know I what agree. I mean? I agree. And kids are the worst. Like, yeah. kids can be so mean. Yes. Like, stories that I have, stories that Mike has, and, like, they were shoving underwear in his mouth. Like, can I know. we not? Can we I teach know. our kids to not and, do like, shit like that? This happens throughout his whole life. So he's saying that, like, he gets so bullied at school. In the morning, he would time it so he would get to school seconds before the bell rang so nobody would have the opportunity to harass him. He would take the circuitous route through the woods to his home where he would secure himself in his room for the rest of the night. Then he would get home and lock himself in his room so he wouldn't be bullied by his dad. Right. Like that, his fucking life sucks. Sucks. It does not, he's not off the hook for the shit he did later, of no. course. But like, we've got to do better than this. Yeah. And and the thing about kids who are bullies, they turn into adults who are bullies. Because like, I can't tell you how many times I'm I mean, this like, guy's a serial killer. Exactly. You know what I mean? But I'm also, say- yeah. I'm also saying just like in the real world, how many times I've had conversations with friends or like, especially people younger than me who yeah. are going through some kind of bullying situation. And part of my advice is like, let me tell you, like, let's handle this situation, but also yeah. it never ends. Yeah. I know bullies who are older than me. Totally. I know bullies, like, it's just, it's crazy. No, it's true. But the point is, he learned to be invisible, and he says, and the cops are saying, like, this helped him as a serial killer. Yes. You and know? we meet Joan, his biographer, and yeah. I don't really have much to say about her, except that she really took our advice to heart, and she's, like, full hair and makeup. She's very Long Island. Full, I mean, like, the eyeshadow for days. Yeah. Full, full beats, full hair and makeup. She's got a haircut like Glendora from Zeppy Witched. <laughs> Bewitched's mom. Oh, she has the yeah. big, like... Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of beehive, yeah. Kind of a beehive, but kind it's of... It's a beehive bun. Totally. Oh, but also, you know what else plays a part in him being a serial killer? His violent sexual fantasies. They play yeah. a role in this, too, because he would get turned on by women getting strangled in Hitchcock movies. Yeah. And Hitchcock was a creep and an abuser, too, so the apple doesn't yeah. fall far. Yeah. Really fucking gross. Gross. So, all of this goes on for 18 years. The bullying, the fantasies about, like, killing women while having sex with Ugh. them. He goes to college. He drops out. Moves home with his parents. In 1986, his dad is hospitalized with cancer, and then his dad dies by suicide. Yeah, in the hospital room. In the he hospital. Was like, he was intentionally overdosing. Yeah, and they say that... The desire to please his father would have always been at the core of his uh, emotional life. But with his father gone, that burden lifted. His mother was preoccupied with her life as she was getting older. It gave him the freedom to act on his worst impulses and fantasies. Because his mom was, quote, preoccupied. So yeah. he was sort of, no one was caring about him or looking after him in any way. So right. he And he's like, also Great. an adult at this point, so, oh my God. But they say he lived for the nighttime. He would drive through Queens and Manhattan visiting, quote, all the strolls. He's looking for sex, sex workers. workers. right. And for years, he, like, only has relationships. And by relationships, I mean paid experiences 
businesses yes. with sex workers. And he even says it becomes an addiction. He's saying when you're dealing with a sex worker, you don't have to worry about rejection. They're mm-hmm. going to do whatever you pay them for. He was in charge. These yes. are his words. Yes. And he looked at them as lower than him. So he finally got to feel important. And he's now on tape blaming them for his lack of a, quote, normal relationship and lack of career. It's their fault. And that he can't keep a job. Exactly. Because he needs to overpower women and just like, give me a fucking break. And he's spending so much money on these sex workers. He's saying he'd get paid on Friday, blow all of his money on sex workers over the weekend. And then on Monday morning, he has to ask, he has to like beg for gas money. Right. And this is, we've seen this before. Yeah. Where the men go to the sex workers and then even though they think like, oh, they have to say yes, the sex workers still disappoint them in some way or make them angry in some way or are at fault for something like not being able to keep a job. And then here comes the anger and the rage. And now there's a, it's a perfect recipe for fucking disaster. And remember, he's been fantasizing about killing women during sex his entire life, since he became a sexualized person. And now it happens. So he meets up with Susie and Susie is a sex worker, he knows. And they go to his mother's house. She's away. She's out of town. They have sex on the couch. Trigger warning, this is going to get horrible. He's annoyed that she's not paying him more attention. At some point she wakes up. She immediately wants drugs. Joel, at this point, is exasperated with her. And he impulsively just starts hitting her on the head. She wakes up and Joel beats her so hard that he actually thinks she's dead. But she's not. She's not. And then he strangles her and kills her. I mean, and like we hear him describing this beating and murder in a total and complete monotone. Yeah. He has absolutely no emotion or feeling about it at all. And he dismembers her. And I do want to say something. Oxygen, I have more issues with this. This music is so fucking disrespectful. It's like the Ghostbusters theme. Oh, I didn't even know. It's notice. supposed to be like spooky and weird, and uh-huh. it comes off as fucking quirky. And it's not spooky. Yeah. It's scary in the sense where like this is a real person yeah. doing something to another human and we should respect her. Yeah. Instead, I'm like, why does this sound like the Ghostbusters theme? That's oh a problem. Oh my God, that's, that's crazy. a fucking problem. It's not Halloween night. No. Yeah. Stop it. No. But he does this thing because he's like so paranoid about getting caught. He dismembers her and dumps different parts of yeah. her body in different places. Yeah. And so like a golfer ends up finding, this is so bad, ends yeah. up finding her head near a golf course and there's like no ID. In New Jersey. So like he's he's put like pieces of her body in one of the rivers in Manhattan. Yeah. Then drives into New Jersey and like puts her head like in a shallow grave outside a golf course. I know. It's terrible. It's terrible. And he knew enough to remove her teeth so that they couldn't use dental records to ID her, right? Yeah. So this is all great for Joel. He murdered a woman and he got away with it. Yeah, but the head is found pretty quickly. He hears on the news that a head has been found in Hopewell, New Jersey, where he buried it. He's like now convinced he's going to get caught. He's terrified. Yeah, and then he doesn't. And then he doesn't. he's like, great, let's do this again. And that emboldens him. Right. And like, remember, this is the 90s, so DNA isn't not a thing yeah, but like it's not happening like it's still really fucking hard right and because he's burying different parts of the bodies in different jurisdictions right. in different states he knows nobody he knows talks. what he's doing I mean the methodology here is so sick yeah because yeah. he has to have that body and be dealing with it for days right you right. know what I mean right exactly so it's the fall of 1990 he does the same thing he did to Susie they for whatever reason don't say her name her name was Julie Blackbird I don't know why that's wild she's just like nameless here her uh-huh. name is Julie Blackbird but it's the same thing. Like, she was a sex worker. He hires her. Things go sour in his crazy fucked yeah. up mind. And he beats her to death. This time, he used a little different MO. He uh, went out and bought cement and tarps. He threw the concrete into a river, which we know sinks to the bottom, never to be found. He was improving his technique, so to speak. 
And they say, and I hate this phrase, but I know what they're saying. Yeah. He's, quote, improving his technique, which is like, and I just want to remind, because well, we'll get to it. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. Yes. Exactly what he's doing. So, like, in 1991, he commits his first murder that's not at his mother's house. It's in a motel. And then, like, the next string of murders are all committed in his car. Right. And that string of murders, Barbara Jacobs, Mary Ellen DeLuca, Yun Lee, and number six is what they call her because yeah. she's unidentified. So, this victim number six, what happens is he kills her in his car, then drives to northern Manhattan into, like, an industrial area. Now, I used to live in northern Manhattan. These are everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're, like, either apartment buildings that are being built or pieces of bridges that are being... Like, anybody could do this. Mm -hmm. And he drives off the road into this industrial area where he goes and, like, dumps the body in a waterway. And as he's coming back to the car, there's a fucking cop there. Right. And the cop asks no questions. He immediately picks up something from the ground, an auto part... And before the cops have an opportunity to say anything, he says, I'm not auto-stripping, I'm just scavenging. The killer bends over, picks up a piece of, like, a fucking carburetor or yeah. whatever, and he's like, uh, I'm just scavenging for car parts. And the cops are like, I'm so sorry, sorry to, bother to bother you. Sorry to bother you, oh my God. Who we bought? Please, uh, sir, know. continue. Oh my God, I'm going to dock myself a few days' pay for and that. And, like, the thing is, there's a dead body five feet that way. If they had searched his car, they would have smelled it. Mm -hmm. If they had, like, just... And I kept thinking, if he was a person of color, this would have been so fucking different. Right. Because he's a white man. Yeah. And nobody wants to believe that he could be doing anything bad. They and just he, let him go. And he probably looks exactly like the cop. A hundred percent. Someone the cop knows. Yep. And like, he doesn't. It's the Ted Bundy thing all it's over again. It's the Jeffrey Dahmer of right. it all. Like, like, returning the victims to the fucking killer. We, yeah. Yes. You know? But again, also, the other side of this, too, is he's killing sex workers. So we, right. how many times have we been through this, right? Like, they're, they're considered easy targets because, quote, no one cares. Yeah. They won't be reported missing. Sometimes they're not using their real names. Yep. Like, they're hard to identify and people aren't looking for them. And it's also the perfect storm of, like, because we get 20 more minutes here of, like, what an invisible loser this guy was. Right. Because, like, he had to learn to be invisible because he was so bullied by the school and by his dad. Right. That, like, he literally looks like D.B. Cooper. He's just, like, an average Every, He looks like everybody and guy. nobody. Yeah. And, like, and the cops say He's over and over egg. again. Yes. He's a Twitter profile They're, egg, like, a hundred, a hundred times we hear the cops say, like, there's no reason why Rifkin should have been on our radar. He's just not the kind of guy you would ever look at. They keep saying it. Mr. Cellophane <laughs> should have been his been name. Because you can walk right, right by me, me. Oh. see right through me, and never know I'm there. They call me I like the end part where they really do the little <laughs> little burlesque action. I tell you, cellophane, Mr. Our next victim is Lorraine Orvieto, and we're here with her cousin Darlene. Lorraine was not a sex worker. Her right. family was looking for her all over the place. She just vanished, according to her cousin. This is a very, very sad story. Yeah, because what we learned... She just had so much vigor, so much life. She wanted to be an accountant. I think she knew very clearly what she wanted in her life. I remember Lorraine's frustration at struggling to pass the CPA exam. She tried twice, but she couldn't pass this test. She was really deflated. She really wanted to be an accountant, but yeah. she couldn't pass the CPA exam. Look, to which I said, I hear you, Lorraine. Are you kidding I, me? The CPA exam, she takes it twice, does not pass. You know? Steve Tipton would pass that in his sleep. I always say to my mom when we talk about this and just, I don't know, just, you know, being in the creative field. Yeah. or I always say, like, you know what? It would be, it would make a lot of people 
more comfortable if I was an accountant and Mike and I had 2.5 kids. Uh-huh. But when I say that, I'm like, because that's like an easy thing to say. Like everyone sort of knows what that is. Yeah. But I'm like, I could never be an accountant. No. The accountant is like, and my brain just doesn't work that way with I the know. numbers. I, but I, I mean, there was a time I tried to be a, an executive assistant. I write about it in my book. Oh my God. I was, I mean, it, I was so bad at my job that Steve had to come after hours and make the spreadsheets for me. Stop. Steve would work a full day at his job, then come to my job and do the spreadsheets. And then it was like super fun time for Steve. Totally. Couldn't and wait. the next day they'd be like, your spreadsheets are amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, don't ask oh me to do one right now. Because no, 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 I totally no, no, no. could yeah, yeah. if I, I wanted don't... to. I just, I work better at night. Yeah, yeah. I really thrive it's in the darkness. better when there's nobody here in the office and I'm yeah. just doing it all by myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't look at anything yeah. uh, until later. Uh, you know what, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow yeah, yeah. Works And then my daughter fed a bunch of important documents to the shredder and I got fired. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Lorraine ends up in the hospital and in the hospital she learns she has HIV. Well, she needs to get a blood transfusion yeah. in 1985 and that, the blood transfusion is what gave her HIV oh. and then it turned into AIDS. And so, you know, she loses all hope and she ends up like, being unhoused and living on the street and developing a drug problem. Right. And she is never seen again. Right. And it turns out her family learns through this that Lorraine ends up being a sex worker. Right. And that's how she meets the killer. Yeah. So now we learn about Christmas weekend. He hires another sex worker. Yeah. And they skip right over Marianne Holloman and and victim number nine, also unidentified. Why are they doing this? I don't know. These are so many names that they're just skipping right over. Yeah. And so like the end of Lorraine's story is that like he has sex with her. And in the process of receiving sex from her, he did what he was already in the habit of doing. It's just habitual. After taking her life, Lorraine Orvieto is the first of several victims that he places in a 50-gallon drum. Puts her in a 50-gallon barrel and dumps the barrel in a canal in Brooklyn, and it takes seven months for them to find the barrel, (sighs) and even longer than that to identify the body. So the family goes like a year without knowing what happens. I know. It's so horrible. And then for whatever reason, Oxygen skips right over Marianne Holloman and unidentified victim number nine. Don't know why they're doing this. But the next victim, according to the doc, is Iris Sanchez. And they're saying like as he's progressing, he's just getting sloppier and sloppier. Right. Because he picks up Iris during the day, which is very unusual for him. They're on the Lower East Side. He like has sex with her in the car, kills her in the car, drives out to like a vacant lot near JFK, where he like in the middle of the day takes this body out of the car, finds a mattress where he picks up the mattress, puts the body under the mattress, gets back in his car, drives away. Nobody sees anything. It's two in the afternoon. Two in the afternoon. By JFK. By JFK. Unbelievable. Yeah. But so Fred the neighbor, Fred oh my we God. met earlier when everyone was talking about like Fred's in neighbors. a band. Fred, Fred no. does not miss the opportunity to promote his band in this documentary. And good for him because he's wearing the band's t-shirt. But so Fred is here again and he's like, I don't live in East Meadow anymore, but you know, I visit my mom all the time. And he was way too busy with the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble. I mean, the New York Ska, there's the, ni- that's the 90th thing we've the ever said. 90, like Even I just more see the checkered, anything on the checkered print. Totally. The checkered print, the hat and oh the glasses. Oh my God. But, um, Opening you know what? for the Boss Tones. Oh my God. Or like the specials. <laughs> Um, you know what? Good for him. Get that promotion. Friend. Yeah. I would go see the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble tonight. I would go if with If they you. were doing a show, I would go tonight. 1,000%. Yeah. Would you skank with me? That's what the dancing Ooh, was I called. I will skank with you anytime. Oh. I don't know what that means, but if you're doing it, I'm doing it. All right. Let's do it. Let's all skank together. Yeah. You know the 90s people know what it is. <laughs> um, but Fred says also so 90s and so ska. I was walking with my horn just somewhere down in the village near the club, and I see Joel in a car. Oh, there's a girl with him. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I haven't really seen him with too many girls. I'm not going to interrupt, and I'm just going to be like, you know, hey, bro, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, I just did a show. All right, see you, see you soon. So I was walking down the street with my horn. I was somewhere downtown. 
just says it <laughs> outright. Horn. Fred, we get it. You're I in know. the ska band. I'm, I'm thrilled for you. So I was, <laughs> yeah. there I was with my horn. And there I see. So yeah. what he does is, so Fred clocks Joel in a car with a woman. Yes. And Fred doesn't want to interrupt because uh-huh. the kid had a real hard time uh-huh. in high school and he's with a girl and, you know, yeah. I don't want to mess around. He never sees him with a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he real, Fred real, has this like horrible, shocking realization later oh my God, he was with a victim and right. I could have stopped it and I didn't. I, and I saw it. And not to mention the fact that like some of these victims he's dismembering in the garage right next right. door to this fucking guy's house. Right. Like it's one of those crazy things where we meet these neighbors. This went on for years and years and years. Years, yeah. And like at one point Fred's mom hired the killer to like trim the bushes because they were afraid <sighs> the mom's going to get thrown out of the house. Oh my God. So like it, like they knew him. They knew oh, him yeah. during this time period. They knew him. And suddenly we learn about Catherine Williams and Julian Attaway and how they met when they were high school seniors. To which I say, great, who are they? Okay, so they're here. Julian is here to tell us the story. This is his favorite note of his entire life. Yeah. He was a quarterback on his high school football team, and Catherine was the head cheerleader for the rival team. He literally says, it gave us some notoriety in it's our a town. a fun little sexy scandal for everybody. He thinks he was famous because he was dating the opposing team's head cheerleader. But then it was like, now everyone hates each other <laughs> even more. How could you? Such betrayal. It it's very an Friday episode of Friday Night Lights. I didn't even realize I'm wearing my Friday Night Lights. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose shirt. I just said Julian has been telling the story at a cocktail party ever since. Yeah, exactly. Also, they skip more victims, Anna Lopez and Violet O'Neill. Jesus. So she breaks up with him. Yes. In high school. And um, she ends up being a, a professional cheerleader. Yeah, he sees her on TV. Yeah. He's like, I oh mean, my a God. professional cheerleader. She must have been really good. That is so hard. I know. It is so hard. I know. She moves to New York and he's like, I'm definitely never going to see her again. Like she, you know, maybe the one who got away or yeah. whatever. But one day, and we don't know where they are. I know. This is so geographically, crazy. Geographically. Yeah. It's not New York. Yeah. But one day, there he is in the Methodist church. I looked up there, and there she stood, Catherine Williams. When everyone was quiet, she just turned around. She looked right at me, bang. I knew at that moment that I was going to marry her. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. At that moment, she knew it, too. And she goes, well, I know of a justice of the peace down the road. Let's go tomorrow. They see each other and they decide that day that they're going to get married. They get married in like two days. She's like, I know Justice of the Peace, like down the block. They drive, they like literally jump in the car and they go and get married. It's wild. Then Julian explains to us that like bada bing, bada boom, they are living like the world's craziest like drug fueled party every day. He's like, it was the 80s, you know, so cocaine was afoot. He says, you know, they discover cocaine, to which I say it's never a good thing. Yeah. And he said we had, quote, dangerous parties. And Julian's like, things got really scary, really quick and things just got out of control and Julian sort of has this moment where he's like okay I'm pressing stop I want to get off this ride right now so he sort of takes Catherine aside and says look I need to go home to my family I think you should do the same like we need to stop this this is not healthy this is scary it's dangerous we're gonna die die. like something bad will happen and like let's just let's pull the plug on this yeah Catherine decides to head back to New York City because Julian tells us she had a support system there. Yes. And I guess he goes like back home. We know we don't know where this is. It sounds like the South. Yeah. I don't know, but we don't know where. Yeah. But they're still married. They're right. still married. And Catherine is just like, you know what? Wait, I'm coming home. You're right. I, I don't want to be in New York City with the support system. I want to be home with you and my family and like the town we grew up in. Yes. But then like put a pin in that because it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And we learned that the killer had been with this woman several times. She's working as a sex worker to, in New like, York. To like get money to go back home. 
home. Right. And so she says to Joel, I'm coming home tomorrow. Uh, we don't know. Like this week, I'm coming back to yeah, get you. Yeah, yeah. I just need a couple more bucks. Yeah. You know? She never shows up. And so like now we're hearing Joel on the tapes telling his version of knowing Catherine. And he's saying that like she would like everywhere she went, she had a suitcase with her full of like all of the things that mattered the most to her, like her wedding pictures. Right. And because like she's coming back to New York and she's just trying, her goal is to get home. So she doesn't have, she's not living anywhere. She's yeah. just like everything she has. And we learn Mary Catherine was the symbol and the reality of the girl, not only that he could never get, but the girl who chose the bullies. So she was a symbol of everything that he hated, that he was envious of. She's showing Joel her wedding pictures. The guy's like the quarterback star of the football team. These are the people that like ruined his life. And she, yeah, she's the beautiful star yeah. cheerleader. She was homecoming queen, the football player husband. Like she yeah. was, they say, and, and I'm putting this in quotes, like the pretty girl who marries the handsome bully. Exactly. Even though she's not treating him that way. Exactly. And Julian sounds pretty nice. Like <laughs> I don't think they were. <laughs> Julian still looks great, by the way. I, I write, who you knows? Know? He's a nice guy, whatever. Yeah. So she's with him trying to make money to get back to Julian. Julian and the killer kills her. Yeah. And she's his 13th victim. And Julian is like, while I was like sitting by my phone waiting for right. her to call and tell me when she's like coming sitting home, sitting at the bus station waiting for her. She's being murdered. I know. Can you imagine? I can't. I can't either. So, Oxygen, for some unknown reason, ignores Jenny Soto, another victim. And the next victim we discuss is Leah. Evans, and yeah. we're with Elizabeth Swanson, who's Leah's friend. Yeah, so Leah went to Sarah Lawrence College. It's a college full of rich kids. Leah wasn't one of those kids. She had to work really hard to get there and to stay there. But, you know, we're told she was on the path to great success. But at some point, somehow, while she's at school, she falls into, like, drug addiction. She uses heroin. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Heroin is so goddamn scary. And in the middle of this, Leah meets an older man. Yeah. She drops out of college. They have two kids together. And then the guy just ghosts her. He disappears. Just abandons her. But like what happened to Leah is that again, you know, like she's using drugs. She turns to sex work and she meets the killer. He strangles her in his car. Joel Rifkin dug a very shallow grave out in the eastern end of Long Island. Some people who were out looking, uh, you know, for flowers or something and they saw the hand sticking up out of the ground and that's how that body was found buries her in a very, very shallow grave, and that's how she was found. And it's also, like, we don't know what happens to the kids. Like, the best friend who's here to talk about her right. is, like, she came to my apartment, like, days before she went missing. She brought her kids. The kids were amazing, but she says she was just gone. That, she was like, gone. being on heroin, I could tell she, like, was not in her own body no. anymore. And let me tell you, I've known people who have used heroin, and that's exactly it. It's, it's horrifying. I mean, and we don't know what happened to the kids. I like, know. the dad is gone, the mom just vanishes and is murdered. Like, where they were like waiting for her at home? Uh, we don't even know. You know. But because he's getting really sloppy, he buries her in a very shallow grave and her hand is sticking out. And so somebody finds the body because the hand is sticking out of the shallow See, grave. See, now to me, this is him. It's the confidence. But because remember, he knew he had like cement before and he yeah. was like using the jurisdictions against each other. But now, like I think so many of them do, he wants to get caught. Right. So now like he's the shallow grave, like he knows better than that. And yeah. he's doing this on purpose. And they say like his next victim like is his like sloppiest murder of them all. Right. But they do skip Lord Marquez. Sorry, I'm going to keep saying it's it. So I know it's very crazy. annoying for me to keep interjecting like this, but 
but like I think Oxygen did this all wrong. You know, I feel like they were just focusing on the victims that like had like wild stories, like I the most guess. salacious stories. Give me or whatever. an on-screen text. I know. That's it because totally. it feels like they're not part of the story and they're real and they were. So yeah. Lauren Marquez, but let's let's get to the next. So one. it's one month after Leah, and they say Rifkin commits his most brazen murder yet. He's in his <sighs> mother's car. It's daytime. He brings a sex worker to a parking lot. There's a van that parks like three spaces away from him. He's like having sex with the sex worker with the guy getting out of the van like 10 feet away from him kills this woman. The guy is doing Tai Chi. Doing Tai Chi. Like they can see him doing the Tai Chi. He kills this woman basically in front of the guy doesn't see it but he easily could. He easily could have. Again, it's the middle of the day. It was light out and there were going to be commuters, people going to work figuring I can't dispose of the body right here. So he put newspapers all over the body so that if anybody did look inside, they wouldn't see the body. He covers the body in newspaper. Right. It's all, again, he wanted to, I think he was like, oh, there's someone out there. Uh Like, he just Uh wanted, now, like, the murder isn't enough. Like, now he needs to be caught, too. Like, he's at that point, right? Yeah. And they don't say her name, but her name is Tiffany Bresciani, and we'll get to her later, but I don't know why they're not saying her name now. So this story is wild, because he's in his mom's car. He, like, puts her in the trunk, drives home, the mom mom is now mad that he's been out with her car longer than she thought he would be. She's like, I gotta go do errands. She He hands her the keys. She goes to Kmart with the body in the truck. Yeah, I got news for you, mom. Yeah. We have bigger fish to fry that he was too late with the car. Yeah, there's a body in the trunk while the mom is driving around doing errands. The mom comes home. He waits until nighttime, transfers the body from the trunk into the garage, which is connected to the house where he lives with his mother and his sister, and then spends days dismembering this body. Right. This is the whole Jeffrey Dahmer thing. Where yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He lived in the ba- in his grandmother's basement using hacksaws uh-huh. and the smells. And the smell. And no one asked a question. No one ever went down there. Like, are you telling me over the... They say that it was sweltering heat. He's got this body in right. the garage. He's dismembering the body. The mom isn't smelling this. The sister isn't smelling this. No one goes into the... I mean, it's got... They, they, their word's not mine. Like, it must have been a fucking mess in there. Right. That no one wants to face it, which which is wild to me, but we've yeah. seen it time and time like, again. Like, our weird loser son's just in the garage doing his thing. I guess we're just going to leave him out there so we don't have to know what's happening. Like, exactly. It's like the willful ignorance. It's totally. But he puts Tiffany's body in his pickup truck, and he's going to find some place to put her remains. And now we're back at the beginning because remember the cops, the pickup truck without a license, plate. W- without a license plate that didn't get pulled over, but just crashed. And the cops, because <laughs> right. he like went off the off yeah. ramp or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And crashed into a, t- like, this is the beginning. So now we're at the beginning again, right? Because the cops are like, oh, here's that red flag as they described a body in the trunk, which is like all the red flags come before. We just uh-huh. discussed the red flags. Can I also mention that the cop, he says when he gets out of the a truck, like, why did you pull me over? And he's like, well, because your car doesn't have a license plate. And he goes, oh, it's always some 25 cent part, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Even he knows these fucking morons always get busted for the taillight. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And this was, yeah, this was after Son of Sam. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. You know, the parking ticket or whatever it's it is. It's like you're going to go to all this character to spend a weekend to remembering a body but you're gonna put her in a truck with no license plate but what? he was so ready I uh-huh. think he I think like he knew that there wasn't a license plate on it I think yeah, he yeah, was yeah. ready because yeah. they haul him in and he starts singing like a canary he's Within confessing minutes. to every, to 17 murders yeah. he's writing them down he's giving all the details he's bragging about it he wants it. the credit he wants them to know how long he got away with it he was ready to yeah. be caught it's like the one thing in his life he was ever actually good at I know and like and I, don't, I say that knowingly I don't mean that in a glib way I, I know mean, what you mean the re- it, it motivated him to keep going because he had sucked at everything else. Right. And he also got to like win. Yeah. Especially yeah. Yeah. with 
Catherine, she was pretty. She was everything that he thought represented what was like taking him down totally. early in life. So yeah. he was whatever. So <laughs> whatever. Like, I just hate him. I know. I know. Uh, I know. So they search his house and someone says his bedroom was a crime scene technician's nightmare. But it was like anyone's nightmare. Like you look like we see the pictures of the room. It's disgusting. But also, isn't that great for you to solve this thing? I like, guess isn't but, there evidence there? I just keep thinking about the other adults who lived in this house. I know. Like, the, like and it's nobody's fault but his own. He's the fucking killer. Course, I get it. But of like course. you're living in a house with like you see this room it is wall to wall shit you know, know there's food everywhere there's gonna be mice and cockroaches all, all over, over the, the place, place in there like ask a question yeah but and you know what so let's go through what was in there shall yeah, we yeah. why they should have been asking questions and if he's like no you can't go in my room I'm locking the door ask a question it's not your house I know he's 30 whatever I, I don't care I know so his room had a ton of evidence in it mostly things belonging to victims well, it was almost like digging for treasure there was driver's license of some of the victims there was clothing, jewelry. There was also articles on Arthur Sharcross, the serial killer from Rochester area of New York. And he had a book on the Green River Killer, almost how-to guides for him. Articles on other serial killers like the Green River Killer. And he literally says, I was copycatting. He's like, oh, he put one in the river, so I put one in the yeah. river. He took the credit card, so I took he the credit card. He was studying. Yes. He was studying. They were like, the Green River Killer was like his hero. Ah. He wanted to be like that guy. And so, like, you have all of this shit that's like, clearly this guy did it, right? Uh-huh. But for whatever reason, for some reason, I mean, I guess it's the time that we're in, there was no viable DNA at the house. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm chalking that up to it being the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because he dismembered women in that house. You're going to tell me there's no evidence there? I mean, he dismembered people in the garage, like, and many people. It's got to you know be because I mean? we're talking about 1993. Yeah, it has to be. be, right? Because, like, the garage is, like, clean as can be, but the room looks like that. What about like the that? cars? I know. What oh. about his mother's car? Exactly. Give me a break. So, by April 1994, we're going to trial, obviously. Yes. Right? So, we meet Fred, the prosecutor. Uh-huh. And he tells us that the killer is only being charged with the murder of Tiffany Bresciani because this is the only murder they can really prove and identify. We- she was the woman in the back of the car when they pulled him over. So they're saying, like, we can connect him directly to this murder. Right. Even though he's confessed to 16 others. Exactly. This is what we can actually get him on and send him away for life. Right. So he's pleading insanity and the lawyers are like, he kind of didn't have a choice. Like, he confessed. There's evidence. Like, what do we you want? We found the body in his car at three in the morning. You right. know what I mean? Right. But there's also a lot of pressure to convict him. Because they're saying if he can get off on the insanity defense for this, they're not going to be able to get him on anything else. Right. And some one of the lawyers is like, on the one hand, to kill 17 people, you gotta be nuts. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But that's not what the insanity defense is. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And we learn, like, the lawyers are proving that the killer was coherent. Yeah. He was methodical. One of the really weird things he had told some of the psychiatrists were that after he had killed most of these women, Rifkin took the money back from them that he had initially given them to perform the sex act. The jury was very persuaded by that little piece of evidence that this guy knew exactly what he was doing. He also would take the money back from the sex workers after he killed them. And also just like everything we were saying that he knew to put them in different jurisdictions or that he used cement. Like he knew exactly what he was doing until he felt like getting caught and then he got sloppy. Exactly. So the insanity defense isn't going to work. No, he gets convicted. He gets 25 to life. And then after that, he pleads guilty to nine other murders. And then his sentence is extended to, wait for it, 203 years. (laughs) And we learned that his first victim, Susie, she's really ID'd in 2013. 
13. Yeah. And her real name is Heidi Balch. But I mean, that was 20 years later. And like, we don't really have to get into it, but there was a cop from the township in New Jersey who always wanted to identify that body because it's like one of the only open cases they had in that town. And he really cared about the victim. And like his higher ups kept saying to him, like, you're not a detective. Like, fuck you. What do you think oh you're doing? God. So he fucking becomes a lieutenant so right. he can solve this case. Yeah, I'll, and, ju- like, I'll just do it myself. Exactly. And so like, it's just like actually doing good police work and like gets the answer. Right. Yeah, sure. It was it in 2013? Yes. But do we have her real 20 name? 20 yes. years later. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And like, it wasn't that hard. Like her aunt had reported her missing and basically they went and interviewed the aunt and within a day they were able to figure it out. They could have done this 20 years ago. I know. You know? I don't know but why But he's the only the one who like gave a shit. So now we spend like the last 15 minutes talking about how he's how he was bullied and if he uh-huh. like, if he didn't hate himself so much, these women might still be alive. Look, this guy has no remorse. No, I think what they're trying to say here though is that bullying matters. Bullying super, you know what super I mean? matters. Yeah. I agree, but like... I can name five people, not even counting myself, who were, like, really bullied, like, badly bullied. Yeah. And I think everyone makes choices. I mean, this guy's sitting here comparing sex workers to cockroaches. Yeah. So I don't really give a shit about waxing poetic about, like, what if he only got the help he needed? Uh Uh-huh. I think a lot of things are true here. Yeah. But he's still sitting here proud of what he did. No, I know. I'm just on the record saying, but but it also can't help to not bully people. Let's not bully. (laughs) Like, I agree. Like, we have to stop bullying, especially in the age of the fucking internet. We have to stop that. Yeah. We also have to care about sex workers more. We have to care about women more. Like, yes. we all have a lot of work to do. Everyone has a lot of homework. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, girl. We did Rifkin and Rifkin. I remember what it was called. Oh, do Look you remember the rest of it? Nope. Right. Uh, conversa- conversations with a killer? Close enough. Okay, confessions good. of an asshole or whatever it is. <laughs> confessions of a piece of shit. Fam, come see me this weekend, Saturday night. It's my opening night for my traveling book party at the Bell House in oh, Brooklyn. Oh, this Saturday? Yes, this Fuck, Saturday. I can't. Just kidding. <laughs> you stop it, oh, you. with bells on. Oh, my God. With the Bell House. It's gonna be, I love the Bell House. It's, so, it's, it's such a great such venue. venue. Join us on the page, fam. Over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes. Download a binge right now. Tons of video content. If you want to see our live shows, get a real sense of what they are. Yeah. You can see the one that we did at Obsessed Fest with mm-hmm. our dancers. It was incredible. You can see us live from the Wilbur where we did Class Action Park. Yeah. It's such a great show. And they're good quality. Like, they're edited together. Yes. There are different angles and stuff. It's yep. not just, like, on someone's phone in the back of the nope. room. No, you can whatever. watch Rabia and Rebecca Lavoie on the Adnan Sayed yes. panel at, at, I keep wanting to call it Broadway at, at Obsessed, Obsessed Fest. Fest. There's just so much stuff on there. Tons of stuff. What are we doing next, girl? We are doing, all right, everyone, gird your loins. Oh, We're God. doing another untold oh. Operation Flagrant Foul. This is Malice at the Palace 2.0. Basically. Oh, you know, I'm not a the sports person, but yeah. the Malice at the Palace episode is a classic. It's yeah. a TCO classic. I don't know if this is going to hold up, but okay. it's a whole, it, there's like a bunch of tough guys being tough. There's a bunch of lying, cheating, and stealing. All right. There's a wife there that I think you're going to love. Oh, I can't wait. But, and we're going to be talking about the sports, for better or worse. Remember when that 7-5 wife wanted to be our friend? Yes, I do, for five <laughs> seconds. Totally and then she was like, you know no, what, never mind. <laughs> I think she actually DM'd back and she was like, never mind, cancel yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, you guys are good. You guys are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spam, mm. so stay tuned for our funny, ridiculous, hilarious outtakes, yeah. the trailer for what's it called? Untold Operation Flagrant Foul. Oh my God, that sounds like a <laughs> fart. What? <laughs> I don't know. That was a flagrant foul. <laughs> what are you from, Long Island? Joel? Foul? <laughs> what are the you from, East Meadow, the Long look Island? Of disappointment on your face when I said foul. Foul? Tour? Tour. All right, goodbye. Bye. Bye. It's tour. <laughs> I love the game of basketball growing up. It's all I did, all I dreamt of, and all I wanted to be a part of. Man, did I f*** my life up. Allegations against one basketball ref of betting on games is rocking the NBA. As an NBA referee, it was written in the contract that you couldn't place a bet of any kind, but I had inside information, and that's all I needed to make these picks correct. 
Timmy would tell me who we would bet on, and I would relay it back to my guys. I said to myself, shouldn't be doing this. But we were winning. I could win a few million on each game. It's a print press. There was a wad of money, and it clicked. He's betting on his own games. And then all of a sudden, the FBI was here. Wire fraud, illegal gambling. Let's go, baby. You can never live a peaceful life when your life has become nothing but a lie. I once put cookies in the VCR when I was little. You did? To, VCRs were expensive. And this was a person who taped everything. Oh, like the no. VCR was their her, prize. Her stories. I admitted it. I came clean. Of course I, they you were did. Like, Jillian, did you put the cookies in the Dude, VCR? Were you actually like feeding it like you thought it had a mouth? It was a fun thing. It made the noise. <laughs> it was a little open door. <laughs> Kids are the fucking and worst. And they, they were like, Jillian? And this person asked me, like, lip quivering. Yeah, yeah. He, he grew up to be the fucking worst. But uh, lip, like, did you put... Because he was, like, going to oh, record no. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, did Alf. you... Yeah, yeah, the Simpsons or whatever. Like, totally. did you put cookies in the VCR? And I just went, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I said yes. Because yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the big quote. Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm on it. Oh, you have to put me God. under the big hot I lights. I just can't believe that you would have sacrificed some cookies. Those are going right, going right into my VCR. I had already, you know I think, what I mean? eaten the whole half a sleeve of the Chips Ahoy. <laughs> Like, I have a chip ahoy to spare. Put it right in the VCR. Nom, nom, yeah, nom, what can nom, happen? Nom, nom. Makes a fun sound. I don't uh, recommend it. 